Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This week on the show, I test our panel on their knowledge of the 2022 season, and we review the top three teams, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Dawn King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Brophy. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We are back after a week off speaking to Alex Brundle, which we hope you enjoyed, to discuss the season that we have just had, the 2022 season, and it's part two of our season review. My name is Ollie, and joining me today, we have Abby. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. Sam, how are you today? I'm chipper as ever. How are you? Even though though Abby's just asked you. I'm still the same. And uh, James McKenzie, how are you today? Uh, Maybe not as chipper as Sam, because I am not uh, a kid from Oliver or something. But yeah, I'm all right, thanks. (laughs) Well, I am. (laughs) Um, Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was poor. That was really... Yes. Before we start, just want to say thank you to some nice uh, podcast reviews we've had. You know, it's festive, Christmas time. We're, thank you for your feedback. We're glad you're enjoying the show. If you are enjoying the show, please leave a review, leave a five-star rating. If you're listening on Spotify, you just click that little star button. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just scroll to the bottom, press right review and, and do so. If you don't like the show, then don't worry about it. Just just move on. Just, just carry on with your day. And uh, that's absolutely fine. But I thought this week, guys, how do you fancy starting with the quiz just straight into it Sam would that tickle tickle your fancy 
Uh, it, it feels a little bit like you're trying to ruin my chipper mood. <laughs> yeah, should we do that, James? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking I wish I hadn't just seen what you did with your hand when you said chipper. <laughs> Me? No, Ollie, you can... You... <laughs> tickle, I said. Oh, yeah. No, you, yeah, t- I was tickle, tickle, yeah. It's like a... It's like a is it fire in a... <laughs> People, stop <laughs> doing it. Rob, Rob and friends. Fire? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Abby, should we should we start with that? I think we're all in the mood for it, aren't we? Yeah, so though I have a feeling it's going to mess up our brains even more. So this show may end up being a bit crazy. Like, I don't like the implication there, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, let's get into the world-famous Formula Nose quiz. It's that time of the week where we get into the famous Nerds Quiz. Now, again, because it's a season review, it's going to be about this season. But I've, I've had to make it a little bit more interesting and a little more difficult this week, guys, because you seem to be doing quite well. Abby, how did you find it last week? I liked it because I could actually answer some of the questions rather than just relying on Sam and James. So it was fun. Sam, how are you feeling about it today? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling all right. You know, a quiz is a quiz. Um, so I, I don't know why my voice went so high there. Uh, apologies, listeners. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm a little bit more apprehensive than usual because I feel like you've upped the difficulty level a little bit. So we'll have to see. And one man that my quiz never intimidates is James McKenzie. Are you intimidated today? I don't know about intimidated, but I'm looking forward to it. Seeing as you said this was the most proud you've been of a quiz. So I can't oh, wait. don't embarrass me. Come on, I've only been a quiz master for a few weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we've really hyped this up. Let's get into it, okay? Um, We have 15 questions. You are able to decide the answers together, but do it quickly, okay? Because last week went on forever. Question one. How many times did Norris and Ricardo collectively make Q3 in 2022? Tricky. I mean, you might as well ask how many times did Norris make Q3 yeah. in 2022? Because it would be the same answer. No, I'm joking. Uh, obviously, it won't be quite the same. It'll be, what, three, four different, maybe? Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like maybe five times Daniel got in. And probably, I mean, honestly, 15 to 20, maybe, for Lando. I feel like he was yeah, there. I was thinking, he like, was seventh at basically every race. Do we go with, like, 25 what I I'll do, I'll give fair. you to the nearest three this time because it, it's quite a difficult okay. question. Sure. Then 25. <laughs> Margins. Wait, is that, bang on. Bang on. Is it? <laughs> no, it's 23, but... You, you... Okay. Oh, well. <laughs> and can, do you, can you tell us the split? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> Come on, I didn't have that long. Right. Question two. How many drivers outside the top three teams secured a podium? One. 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 It was Lando Norris. Correct. How many drivers who raced in F1 in 2021 were not on the grid in 2022? And name them. Mazepin. Yeah. Um, Hulk was... Kubica. Wait, is this permanent grid or... Permanent grid. Okay. I mean, Hulk wasn't on the grid in 2021. He didn't race. No, no, I was thinking like... A, yeah. Uh, oh, right. He did, did this year. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, I want to say Giovinazzi. Yeah. Um, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, Giovinazzi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gio. Yeah. Oh. And 
Kimmy. Sam's rubbing his face already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Kimmy. Uh, so that's think, three. I think, is that, is that it? I think that's it. Final answer? No. Brilliant. No, wait, because Albon <laughs> came in. No. Albon, he came back in 2022, Yeah, right? so, but he's replaced mm. Russell. Russell's replaced Bottas. Bottas replaced Kimmy. Joe replaced Giovinazzi. Yeah. yeah. And obviously came out Mazepin. So I think it is three. Yes. I can't think yeah. of anyone else. Final answer? Yeah. We've got to be quick. <laughs> that is correct. Okay. Cool. And you got them all right, and the names and then all the extra detail you added in. Um, oh, without my uh, my throwing spanners in the world. <laughs> no, it's a quick one to speed it back up again. How many sprint races were there in 2022? Three. Three. That's correct. Okay. Question five. After the opening four races of the season, all ten teams had scored points. This is the first time that has happened since which year? Oh, <laughs> okay, well, Williams got points the year before, um, but I think it was after. It was yeah, it was Hungary. Season. Yeah, it was Hungary, yeah. So, okay, and then they didn't get any. 2020, 2019, they got them in Germany, but that's too late again. We're supposed to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> like, once, they, once we get back into the 2010s, 2011s, it's none of them because... There were too many teams and there was Manor and stuff. 2015. I, th- I say we either go gamble on 2017 or 18 or we go earlier than that. I know you've said a lot of years so far, but I will let you know that you've said the right one during all of those different years that you've said. Right, so it's got to be 2017 or 18. But you've said yeah. 14, yeah. 15. You've said loads of them. <laughs> But Manor were a, 14, 15 with Manor and then Sauber had a scoreless year, didn't they, somewhere in there? Abby, you can decide. 17, oh. 18. But then if I guess wrong, then I'm going to feel really bad. Um, 17. Think how good you'll feel if you guess right. So are you guessing 17, Abby? Yes. That's wrong. It was 18. <laughs> Come on, Abby. <laughs> no. I, just, I wanted to even change the year just so you got it right. <laughs> okay, right, moving on. Question six. The opening race in Bahrain was the first time that both Red Bull cars did not finish a race since the 2020 season. But in which Grand Prix did that year, did they double DNF in? Uh, no, I was going to say Mugello, but that's... That's where Albon got a podium, wasn't it? So, Austria. Austria, yeah, the first race. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Um, Albon did complete 90% of his laps, so he was classified, but he didn't finish. Question number seven. What is the number of Joguan News car? 24. Yeah. <laughs> That's correct. Do you know all of them, James? Ever? I don't know. The current grid, I think so. <laughs> well, actually, James, can I can I ask a That'd question? Be a good quiz. Like off the the other day, we were talking about car numbers because uh, yeah. we desperately need some social lives between the two of us. Um, <laughs> but you said that fifteen was the lowest number that hasn't been used in yeah. the um, select your own number yeah. era. Yeah, I couldn't think of who had a number twelve at any point. Do you know who that was? Uh, Nazar, I think. Felipe Nazar. I feel like that's okay. right. 
Correct. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> can we get Correct. a bonus point for that? No. <laughs> Oh, I, I, just, yeah. I, I was sat there, I was like, who is it? Sam, Sam seems to have want, want my seat, doesn't he? <laughs> Desperately. Yeah. Right. I want to do that game now. Can you do that? I promise I won't revise. Can you do that in the future at some point? <laughs> yeah, because that's... Okay. I, yeah, I feel like I have a gut instinct for a lot of them, but I don't know why. Question number eight. Lewis Hamilton broke a 67-year-old record at the Hungarian Grand Prix this year. What was that record? James, you look... Fuming that you don't know the answer yeah. to this. <laughs> sixty. Okay, so sixty-seven years. That nineteen fifty-five. Is that sixty-seven years ago? Yeah. God. Fifty. That's I mean, a long okay. Time, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Remember, I like. I feel like I've heard so many stats about Lewis and records. I don't remember hearing that one. So mm. I don't know. What did he do in Hungary? He he qualified tenth, and then he finished on the podium. Or was it 10th? Either way, I think it was near the back, wasn't it? Because his DRS broke. I don't know. I can't remember. Is it... Is it do you want to take a stab in the dark? I remember seeing just, it on social media. It, it can't, can't be specific to Hungary because that didn't exist no. in 55. Well, Hungary did, but not... <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're thinking of like pre-First World War James. Um, Austro-Hungary. Yeah. yeah. They don't. They digress right. again. <laughs> Sorry, just, you know, we, we know stuff other than F1. Um, it, I feel like it's not going to be anything year-specific. I feel like it's going to be le- legacy-based. All right, I'll give you a small clue to make this right. more interesting. It is specific to the circuit. What? The circuit that didn't... But now you've had a clue, I'm going to count you down from 10. Nine. Okay. Eight. 55 6 5 4 3 I've not two. absolutely no idea. Oh, I don't know. Gotcha. Right, this <laughs> so you didn't get the answer right. Um Lewis Hamilton broke a 67-year-old record which was the most laps led at a single circuit. Oh, is that because of Indy 500? Yes. So Bill Yukovic oh. led 485 laps at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway when it was a round of the World Championship between 1950 and 1960. Question nine. Carlos Sainz's retirement in Australia meant that his streak of race finishes came to an end, but how long was that streak? It's a very good question. Right. So, did he re- I don't think he retired at <laughs> Yeah, when he gets it right. <laughs> Thank you, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to. I don't think he uh, retired at all in 2021. I feel like I remember that being a start. At he had two. I believe, I think. Or that was when he was with McLaren. He was the most consistent driver in yeah. 2021. Yeah. I know that. Oh, no, he finished every race. He only had two races where he didn't finish in the points. So, yeah, he finished every race in 2021. Is that revision kicking in? Uh, yeah, I like the way I can see your brain working there, Abby. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> brain working or just the big board of notes in front of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So when did he retire in 2020? Any anyone got any ideas? Remember specific? Was that when he was still with McLaren? Yeah. Yes. Was he caught out in the Magello mayhem? Maybe. I mean, it's going to be a stab in the dark, isn't it? Should we just go for summer in 2020 and make it like 30? Yeah. Ollie's Do we get there to the like nearest three again? Yeah, Ollie's reaction there somewhat kind of led as leading the witness. So it was a good stab. It wasn't the right answer, but go on, have one more. 
<laughs> that is wrong. It was 31. Oh, son of a... <laughs> Question number 10. Alex Albon finished in P10 for Williams at the Australian Grand Prix. But that was Williams' first points in Australia since when? Oh, good question. Okay, well, Thank 2019 you, was the last Australian Grand Prix, but they didn't get any then. 2018, 17, no. maybe 17. Uh, Massa and Stroll at that point could have got some. Mm. 2016, they're surely getting points because that's when they were still like near the front. Relatively speaking, yeah. Yeah, like Massa and Bottas were regularly picking up top tens. So I would say 16 or 17. Don't trust Abby to pick it. Yeah. <laughs> Nor of averages. You've got to get it right this time. I know what my instinct is telling me, but Abby, gone. No, what's your instinct? I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what to pick. Um, I'll go with 2017, as that was wrong last time. Correct! <laughs> ah, was wrong. I was wrong! Yes, Abby. Yes, Abby. This is why yeah. I didn't tell you my instinct. <laughs> Lead your thinking. Question number 11. Nico Hulkenberg filled in for Sebastian Vettel for the first two races of this season in Bahrain and Jeddah. But prior to Bahrain, when was his last Grand Prix? The Magello Grand Prix. No, not the Magello, because that's, that's when um, Stroll had that big crash. Um, it was Eiffel. 2020. Yes. Final answer? In place of strong. Yeah, yeah, he got food poisoning, didn't he? That is... Correct. And maybe COVID, if you believe the rumours. Abby, you're a fan of McLaren. This this should be nice. How many places did Lando Norris make up during a frantic final 20 laps of the US Grand Prix? I don't know. Oh, yeah, it was quite a few. It's a surprising... Like Pitt, I think. I yeah. feel like he was, he got back up to seventh, sixth. It's always seventh. Yeah. I think it might have been sixth there. Because wasn't it Seb and K-Mag fighting over seventh at the end? Yeah. Either way, I don't know where he came out of the pit, so <laughs> this isn't really an answer. But thanks for your US Grand Prix review. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I was really, that, was a, that wasn't meant to be as sassy as that came out. Um, they're like seven, seven. or eight. Oh, there you go. Seven, seven. or eight. Abby picks. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> eight. It was neither Ooh. of them. It uh, was nine. That makes me feel better. Uh, I chose the closest answer. Question number 13. Lewis Hamilton finished in P10 at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I think we discussed that last week. We did. This is his first time finishing in this position since when? Probably when they didn't give out points. Uh, <laughs> right, so Germany 2019, he got he got like brought into the points by the Alphas getting disqualified, didn't he? But I think he went up to ninth, not 10th. Does anyone remember? You're doing a you're doing a Samism, just like adding extra information. Yeah, <laughs> it's not actually <laughs> quite pertinent to the question. Um, so the last time you finished in P10, or the last time he he scored a sole point, last time he finished in P10, which is one point. Yeah, I don't know. Beyond 2019 Germany, which I don't think it was. I don't know. I don't know either. Well, just take a guess. It probably will be wrong. 16. 
Right. Uh, <laughs> imagine you got it right. <laughs> Let's say Spain. No, wait, that's when they no, crashed. No. It's been the most infamous race <laughs> yeah. of the yeah. decade. 2016. Uh, someone else picked the track. Singapore. Singapore? Singapore. Singapore? Singapore? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are wrong. No, no surprises. There. Incredibly, he last finished in 10th in the 2012 Korean GP after qualifying in third. Question 14. Three drivers surpassed 50 career Q1 exits in 2022. Who were the drivers? 50. Nicholas Latifi. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Because yeah, that's done right. But... Third season, so he would have reached his 50th Grand Prix this season. Um, not that that's that's sort of the worst thing it was meant to sound, but as in it's within that ballpark, and obviously he's been driving with Williams. Um, that was, yeah. Um, okay. Who else? Who else is? And I mean, from that point, it could be someone like, well, actually, no, I was going to say someone like Bottas, who might have just accumulated them, but he's probably. He had that crazy spell, didn't he? Like, he didn't miss it once in Merck. I've got it. Lance Stroll. Okay, that's I mean, two. You said that with a lot of swagger, like visually. <laughs> I, I wish the listener could have seen that. Yeah, he wasn't rubbing his face when he said this one. I would have, for well, the you record. Know, you know. <laughs> I really hope he was in that. Go on, I will stick with you. Okay, one more. You've got two. Whether they're correct or not is yet to be discovered. There are three. Daniel, he was with Toro Rosso. Oh, I like HRT. that. Bit of history there. <laughs> I can't believe we were saying history about 10 years ago. Or I am. Yeah, let's go Ricardo. Final answer? Yeah, why not? Abby, any thoughts? <laughs> nope, I trust you two. You are... I don't know why. Sadly, wrong. You had got the first two right, but Ricardo was wrong. So Lance Lance Stroll was the first to do so at the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah. Kevin Magnussen joined at the Brazilian, uh, sorry, at the Belgium Grand Prix, and then Latifi did so at the Singapore Grand Prix. So, question 15, final question. And let's keep it in qualifying exits, why not? At the Belgium Grand Prix, Bottas recorded his first Q1 exit. In how many years? Right, well, I, I kind of said that on the last one. Is, it, I, is that right? I think he didn't get a single Q1 exit in his whole time at Merck. Yes, that's correct, as far as I'm aware. So, probably 2016 at some point. If not, then it's 2013, that was his first year. What, are you saying in 2014 or 2015 he didn't? He might have done, but that was when Williams were like getting podiums. So, it just seems less likely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, twenty sixteen surely is the obvious question. The, the obvious year to go. Do we have to it. say the name of the race? No, yes. the question was in how many years? Oh, in how many years? Six and a bit, potentially a a, a big bit. Six. So <laughs> I'm going to need a, a whole a whole to the year, please, James. First time in six years since twenty sixteen. Yeah, sixteen to twenty two is six six. You are. I pressed the button, but what did I press? I, you are I bet you. <laughs> wrong. <sighs> Seven years. It was his first Q1 exit since the 2015 Monaco Grand Prix, which was 148 races prior. Wow. What a disappointing end to the quiz. <laughs> What's the damage? 
God, I sound like a dad asking for a bill. So <laughs> 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 just me. Uh, hold on, let me just double check this because I'm I'm in shock. One, two. Oh no! Look how happy he is with himself for how low our score is. <laughs> <The sicko. laughs> He's like glowing. <laughs> you got eight right. Oh, like, so half. Then. It's fine. Yeah, take that. That'd okay. be a solid two-two at uni. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, how was the quiz this week? It's tricky. It was tricky. It was I'll give tricky. you that. You really tested us. They weren't your typical quiz questions, were they? Sam's silence is speaking volumes right now. <laughs> yeah, Sam, talk to me. How do you find it? I'm more disappointed in you than the quiz. He made the quiz. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like I like that it's more difficult. I like that it's it's more of a challenge. I think with a quiz, you're aiming fifty percent is probably the benchmark you're aiming for. So, kudos to you for that. <laughs> That was so bitter. <laughs> what? Yeah, kudos to you, you for that. that. That's my. That is my. Congrats, hun. Moment. Um, Abby did very well. I thought so. Yes. yes. Thank you, Ollie. And that's the end of the quiz for this week. So let's get into the second part of the 2022 season review. We're going to talk about Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. Now. It was the year that Hamilton went winless for the very first time in his F1 career. Sam, start by talking to us about Mercedes. What went wrong coming into this year with those regulations? Well, they just didn't quite nail their concept uh, with a car to begin with. Um, as we know, porpoising was a big issue at the start of the season, which is a, um, a relic from the previous ground effect era. Um, it wasn't really anticipated by any of the teams because in the wind tunnels and the simulations they're running, it, that effect didn't kind of come up. But as soon as we got to testing, they looked a little bit off the pace compared to where we thought they'd be. And it kind of got worse in the early part of the season from there. They did start to turn it around and they have made significant strides since. But Total Wolf has reckoned that they've lost about 10 months worth of development. So they are definitely on the back foot when it comes to these new regulations. So, yeah, that's really kind of where it went wrong. Um, and from there, yeah, it was, as I said, playing catch up. They did manage to come on strong later in the season, which ha- does set them up nicely for next year. I mean, it's worth just looking, you know, at the start of the season because Red Bull had such a bad start. It actually made Mercedes look really good. Lewis Hamilton finished in third in his first race, which was it was very confusing seeing this jumpy little Lewis Hamilton going around in um, in Bahrain. James, what did you think? Okay, Mercedes have a serious problem here. Yeah, I mean the the podium flat to, to deceive really. I mean, I don't think they they were under any illusions that they had actually got something worthy of a, a podium worthy car at that point and I mean they quickly came crashing back to earth in Saudi Arabia when Lewis was knocked out in Q1 I think that was obviously that was an experimental setup issue but I think at that point they really knew because at that point it could have been specific potentially um, and yeah once they'd gone to two different tracks and struggled I think they knew they were in for a tough year yeah for sure and yeah that can with Red Bull they were they were uncompetitive because of their unreliability, whereas Mercedes were uncompetitive because their car was uncompetitive whilst having good reliability. In fact, over the year, I think they had one mechanical retirement, which came for Lewis in the final race. So it was you know, a, a mad start, something something like that. 
You're right, Sam. I mean, the only other uh, DNFs they had was uh, when Alonso and Hamilton came together in the Belgium Grand Prix. And when Russell had a collision or, well, so-called collision when he went to help Joe Guanyu at the British Grand Prix. So really, in terms of Mercedes uh, reliability, it was an incredible season. And I mean, even the the one in Abu Dhabi, was likely caused in some part by his trip over that sausage curb. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, the, the, they did very well at maximising their opportunities, especially in the early part of the year. George was remarkably consistent. I think he didn't finish outside the top five until that retirement at Silverstone. So they made good on what they could do, which I think they actually had a very, very good year, given the car they had, to even fight... Ferrari for second in the constructors was yeah brilliant from from their perspective so let's look at the teammates together Abby apart from the first race in Bahrain um George Russell was ahead in terms of points throughout the entire season ahead of Lewis Hamilton it was their first year together in the car we weren't sure how they were going to sort of gel together but is it do you think it's fair to say that George Russell arrived and outperformed Lewis Hamilton I think he did I think Whilst Lewis got a couple more podiums than George throughout the season, George was able to produce consistent results. Like Sam said, he finished in the top five in the first nine races and only ended that streak with the crash at Silverstone. So I think for George, obviously he drove for Williams last year, so he didn't have the best car, but he managed to get the best out of a not so good car, which for Mercedes, that would have been great for George because he has experience for that. Whereas Lewis Mercedes have been dominant for so many years and he's always driven a perfect car that can produce perfect results. And then this year, that wasn't the case. So I think he struggled slightly getting the maximum out of the car, but he did manage to perform. He performed well, but I think Russell just outshone him a little bit, given his experience in a car that's not quite up to par. I saw a quote from Daniel Ricciardo the other day where he was comparing it to his 2014 uh, season coming into Red Bull and how the car for him was a step up, where for Seb it was a step down and how he saw similarities, exactly like you say, with George and Lewis. Uh, And I think George has done an incredible job, uh, I'll say that, but I don't know if I think he's actually outperformed Lewis. Obviously he's got more points, but he, he had a lot of luck fall his way over the course of the season. And yeah, I mean, everyone knows that Lewis was taking the brunt of the experimental setups at the start. That is to say nothing to belittle the great job that George has done. I think they were really evenly matched for the most part the whole season. Yeah, completely. And yeah, I think there's a lot in that experimental setup that Lewis was uh, adopting early on to try and work out what was wrong with the car and which direction they needed to take it. He very much operated as the team lead in that sense. I mean, Lewis has had years where he's had to handle... Um, cars that weren't great 2009 obviously when he moved to Mercedes in 2013 he still got a win in a car that was progressing and they were a year away from that kind of obviously the huge step in in development with new regulations in 2014 Um, but yeah Abby totally take your point that this was a big step up for for George whereas it it was a big step down for Lewis and you kind of saw that but really since kind of Canada around that time it was more usual resumption of service in terms of Lewis being stronger and yeah, yeah, the points only really tell part of the story there. Um, I, I very much feel like that the, the the balance is still Lewis as a team lead, George as the kind of young pretender who will then take that mental in a year or two's time. 
Um, and just very quickly, if you compare Valtteri Bottas's season in 2021 to George's, George scored almost 50 more points than him in a significantly worse Mercedes. So That's an interesting take, that. Yeah, exactly. George has been a big step up. And actually, I think the returning to that kind of um, dynamic that you could see, the kind of Rosberg-Hamilton dynamic, if they can get a competitive car next year, will be interesting because I think it worked this year. I don't know if it will work again in the future. And if we look at, obviously, Mercedes only had one win throughout this year, which was George Russell taking the win in uh, the second last race of the year. And they only had two pole positions, which also went to George. Do you think Lewis Hamilton, after obviously everything on everything that went on last year, turning up and realising, OK, we've not got a great car, do you think he sort of switched off? And do you think it was Russell who was just on the front foot trying to make absolutely everything out of this? And that's ultimately sort of how it went. I know, James, you've said points don't really reflect it in terms of Hamilton but you know George getting two pole positions and Hamilton getting zero that's that's unusual yeah I mean again it was taken out of Lewis's hands in Hungary when George got the first pole because his DRS broke and then obviously Brazil uh yeah where we all know about George benefiting from sticking it in the gravel one way or another performed brilliantly in the sprint but yeah so again it's it's that same kind of case of it not quite telling the full story. Yeah, and also I think I don't think that Lewis checked out, but I think very early on in the season, you know, if you're going to be in the championship fight or not, and if you're not, why not use this as a year to to build something for the years to come? And so Lewis turned his attention to the development of the car, and also you know George did beat him almost you know pretty much on merit in in Brazil. So fair enough, you know I see you know there's a little bit more to that. We think Lewis may have had damage. But also, if I was Lewis, there's an element of you want George to get that win under his belt. You want that that step that he will then take with that going into next year so they can fight on both fronts, hopefully not against each other. With your earlier point, Sam, I completely agree. I think obviously there was questions whether Lewis would actually retire and not race in 2022, but he came back and a lot of people thought that he'd come back with a vengeance and that. And I think when he realised that he wouldn't be fighting for the championship and the competitiveness of the Ferraris and the Red Bulls. He he seems like the type of person who would go, okay, this car isn't up to par. It's not perfect. George, let's focus on you having a great season, but let's figure out where we can improve for next year with my car and see how we can make 2023 a better season for Mercedes. Because Lewis has said that he believes that they have the North Star of design for their 2023 car. So I think Lewis is focused mainly on the coming years rather than kind of checking out and not really bothering with 2022. But yeah. So one aspect I wanted to to, to cover was the wheel-to-wheel racing. Now, George, having come from Williams um, and progressing through the field, he's used to constant wheel-to-wheel racing, being overtaken, overtaken, um, and all of the close racing when you're driving in, uh, you know, trains. Um, Lewis hasn't really been used to that in the past few years. So do you think that that plays into it? Sorry, James, what? You sound like Fernando. But it's very true. That's a race from the front. It, 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 it is true. I mean, last year he had to battle against Max Verstappen. He did battle against Max once or twice this year. But Lewis, all in all, isn't used to that very, very close close proximity racing, is he, Sam? I kind of see it differently, to be honest with you. 
I think that whilst George is, is exceptional in qualifying and over one lap, and we saw that throughout the year, um, I think in the previous years his his wheel to wheel racing has somewhat left something has has, has left some, something somewhat to be desired. Um, I think it's an area that he needs to improve. And also, he, he he does make those mistakes still. He's still very early in his career. Whereas Lewis, I think people forget that he can race. I think it's because obviously you go so long being at the front. But when you've got a, when he was competing against Nico, 2014 Bahrain, great wheel to wheel racing. I think it's just that people have forgotten. I, I don't think it necessarily goes away, at least to someone of Lewis's calibre. I can't believe that was eight and a half years ago. Oh, God, don't. Wow. But, yeah, uh, no, I agree, though. I mean, George definitely had some iffy moments, like particularly Singapore, uh, but even before that, you know, and I remember with France where he kind of threw it down the inside of of Checo and then was screaming bloody murder over the radio about how it was (laughs) Checo's fault and everyone. And there's a reason that George has got this reputation now of, of like, yeah, if Robin put people up the wrong way for his wheel-to-wheel racing. Uh, and Lewis, I mean, yeah, he made a mistake in Belgium, which he refreshingly owned up to. Uh, beyond that, I think most of his collisions, we we debated the uh, the Lewis-Max one in Brazil, obviously at a great length on that podcast, but most of the others, there were only a couple, and it was K-Mag generally kind of making a mistake, in, in my opinion, at least. Just sticking with Lewis, obviously a lot of people think, um, right, this is clearly him on the decline. He's losing his edge. Um, Yes, the the car's not up to the rest of the cars. Well, it's not up to par, rather. But... And he's been beat by his teammate. But there is still a Lewis Hamilton in there, right? I mean, we looked at him at Silverstone, where Lewis is notoriously brilliant at Silverstone and egged on by that crowd. There were some moments that do show that that seven-time world champion is not ready to exit this sport. He's not given up, has he? No, he certainly hasn't. I think the car impacted his season a lot, but he still has that fire and that tenacity in him to actually win. He does want to be at the front of the field, and he's demonstrated that throughout this season in a poor car. He's got nine podiums. He had a string of podiums from Silverstone to Hungary, and he... I think a lot of people feel like he, because he's one of the older people, one of the older drivers on the grid. That he's, a lot, no, he's an old person. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of the oldest drivers on the grid now. And I think a lot of people are thinking, well, Max is now a two-time world champion. We've got now got Russell in the Mercedes, Lando, Piastri's coming, Sargent's coming. I think a lot of people think Hamilton's time is up. He's got his seven world titles. What more does he need? But I think he'll be around... For a while, he hasn't given up. I think he still wants to fight. And if Mercedes can perfect their car for 2023, I think we will see him fighting for the championships again. And, you know, not to bring up Abu Dhabi 2021, but when you're that close to winning an eighth title and outright owning that record, surely that's a motivating factor that will keep him in the sport hunting for that. People are so quick to jump on Lewis when they think there's there's a decline or a drop off because he has had that level of performance for so long. But it's it's also this, you know those same people who, when Lewis is winning, it's the car. As soon as the car is less than it should be, it's the driver. He's washed. He's finished. He he hasn't got the motivation. He can't do it. Russell's better, and it just isn't isn't the case. You, the the difference between an exceptional driver and a, a good driver is minuscule at elite levels of sport and 
Lewis is absolutely still at that exceptional level. And the truth is you don't learn as much as you do winning as you do losing, right? So there's going to be a huge amount that Mercedes are having to learn and they can't, they can't sit still. They've, they've obviously had a dramatic fall from the last uh, eight years. But I'm interested to know, obviously, guys, we, we, we know that Lewis is, is signed till the end of next year. If Mercedes are back at the top and Hamilton and Russell are having to go wheel to wheel at a lot of a lot of the events next year. How do you think that's going to play out? Because it all started very nice between um, Rosberg and Hamilton, even Bottas and Hamilton. That got a bit sour at some time. Do you, so do you think there's a rivalry that really could brew up if Mercedes have the performance next year? Yeah, potentially, definitely. Uh, if they're near the front, I think that's always going to happen. Uh, for now, it looks like they have a very harmonious relationship and it's it's probably down to them having being at very different points in their career. You know, Lewis is aware that, you know, he's saying how long he wants to go on, but he's towards the end of his career and George is 15 years younger. Uh, I mean, yeah, it seems like he's almost taking like an elder brother role. Uh, yeah, if they're battling, realistically, maybe them with Max for the championship, then it's inevitably going to change. But I feel like it would stay respectable or more respectful than him and Nico, certainly. I think there's a lot to do with, yeah, as James said, where they are in their careers. When it was Hamilton and Rosberg, they were of the same generation of driver. And Rosberg absolutely would have felt, I'm not going to get an opportunity in a better car than this. This is my. This is the one chance that I have. And he took that in 2016, understandably then walked away. Bottas was, what, is five or so years behind Hamilton? And... But you never really got the feeling that he was the future at Mercedes, that he was going to take that mantle, that he was going to challenge you know, for a championship because Lewis wasn't nearing the end of his career in the same way. And also, Sam, because he was brought in as a clear number two when Rosberg suddenly disappeared, right? Yeah. It was, Bottas it was, it, never went in as the next, like you said, generation. No, it was, it was a change of tax. And if they'd wanted to do that, they would have taken someone like Esteban Ocon. Um, so... Yeah, it, it was a very different dynamic. And I think next season, what you'll see is Lewis going for that title. George will go for that title because you never know what perform, you know, what performance the driver might have or if there are mistakes or if there's bad luck or what it might be. You need your second driver to be there to kind of pick up the pieces. But I think if Lewis can get the eighth in the next year or two, I think you'll see a, a switch at that point where Lewis goes, you know what, I've done what I needed to do. Now let's turn our focus much more obviously to George. That's interesting. Do you think he'll actually sort of do that in a public domain? Like George is the next generation. He's almost the the uncle. I don't know if we'll see it kind of publicly in that way, but it's Lewis Hamilton. So you, you don't know. He, he, you never. He, he he might come out and say something like that, mm. um, which would be uh, an odd and somewhat unprecedented step, but. What what else do you do when you've got nothing else to prove? <laughs> it's very true. Abby, what do you think on this? I think the thing with Lewis and George is, like you guys have said, they are of different generations. And on I'm sure we've all seen the picture of Lewis back when he was racing for McLaren, I think. And Russell was in the background as a little boy looking up going, oh my God, this is Lewis Hamilton. I'm sorry, Abby. Has anyone seen the McDonald's advert where there's a little kid, right? And he looks exactly like George Russell in that photo. I'll point it out when you next see it. <laughs> sorry. Um, that's all right. I have seen the advert, but I didn't think that he actually looked like Russell. But now <laughs> you, you mention it, he kind of does. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, they're different generations. And I think George looks up to Lewis and he said this year that he's just loved learning from Lewis about Mercedes working as part of the team and Lewis kind of teaching him different things and helping him fit into Mercedes. And I think that is a great relationship to have. Obviously, we are going to see some tensions if they are both fighting for the championship. Like you said, James, that is inevitable. But I still think it will be kept respectful between the two. I don't think there'll be any like dirty racing in a sense. I think it will still be respect respectable and they'll still get on in my view. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So we've spoken about a team with very, very closely matched drivers in terms of points and uh, performance on track this year. But it wasn't quite the same story for Ferrari. Now, guys, at the beginning of the year, we all, well, I certainly thought it was going to be Carlos Sainz who was going to be, be leading the Ferrari team in terms of performance. That was that was my take. I can see James's reaction to that. But it was Leclerc who started the season as a hero, but it went to zero. James, do you want to talk a bit about Ferrari's season and then we can unpick it? I mean, yeah, I think Carlos came in and did a great job at Ferrari last year and surprised everyone all so again, it was a little bit similar to, to Lewis and George in the points, not telling the whole story. Carlos had, no, I wouldn't say Carlos was lucky as much as Charles was unlucky and Carlos was consistent. And yeah, everyone kind of said, obviously, coming into this year and seeing that the car they had, if Carlos can keep that consistency, then he could maybe kind of be an underdog and get himself to the front of the title fight. As it was, he started off the season really inconsistently and he binned it a couple of times and suddenly he was almost it looked immediately like a one, or sorry, like a two horse race between Max and Charles, like by the third race. And from there, he didn't ever really recover. He, he recovered in terms of his performance and he got a lot closer. But yeah, in terms of his actual standing in the title, he never really got into the title battle. Yeah, I mean, mid-season, Carlos seemed to have turned it around. They got a bit closer to Leclerc, but... You know, if we look at the stats here, um, Leclerc had nine pole positions. Um, Carlos Sainz had three. Um, wins, Claire, Leclerc had three. Carlos scraped one. It it was a, it, 
if you recall back at the beginning of the season, we were saying, right, he's not going to last one more season with Ferrari. You know, there were sloppy mistakes all over the place for Carlos Sainz. Sam, what did you did you make of it? And I'm talking about the drivers here. We'll get into the team. Well, with Carlos, I remember saying at the start of the season that his stock had been so high at the end of 2021. And yes, some of that is um, consistency and Leclerc being unlucky. James's favourite stick to beat people with uh, when he reminds everyone <laughs> that he was right about uh, how how the season would develop for the, the two Ferrari drivers. Um, but... Uh, it was such a such a drastic U-turn for for science that within two or three races, he was starting to look like he was undeserving of that huge contract that he then had been given by Ferrari, which was worrying because you're kind of saying, well, at what point do they go? No, sorry, we need to focus solely on on Charles here, and this is the only way that we can realistically mount a title fight. You know, the the, the same race that science binned it what the first or second lap in Australia. Charles opened up a 46-point lead in the championship. And at that point, surely you go, okay, we're only three races in, but this, the, you know, we've we've seen enough for the year. Let, you know, Carlos come back in 2023. Um, yeah, and, and even in later in the season for, for Carlos, when he did, you know, take that step in performance again, it still wasn't it still wasn't as convincing as he was maybe saying outwardly saying in the press. He was saying, yeah, we're really happy with, you know, with the performance, blah, blah, blah. But he was still finishing behind, behind Charles more often than not. There is a, a bit of a gap there. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think it's basically without that consistency, Carlos can't match Charles on a consistent basis. So we, we we compared Lewis Hamilton, obviously, um, making a great start to the season because of Red Bull's um, reliability. But Abby, did you think at the start of this season, because I sure did, Charles Leclerc is going to become world champion this year? I did. I thought this is great because we're going to see Ferrari versus Red Bull. I was a bit down that it was only a two-horse race, that it was only two teams. But Ferrari looked so strong at the beginning. They had the pace, they had the car. But then, yeah, it started to drop off with reliability issues and wrong strategy calls. And they just had a lot of pieces of the puzzle that didn't fit into the right places. And it was a shame to see because they had taken a step forward from previous years, but it wasn't quite a big enough step to actually fight for the championship, unfortunately. So throughout the season, Leclerc was battling with Verstappen. We saw it at so many races going wheel to wheel. James, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I know we've spoken about it before, but in terms of how Leclerc and Verstappen approach racing together versus how we've seen Verstappen against Hamilton, it, it, it's completely different. Yes, we all know that. We've all seen it. But what, what, what now the season is finished, do you make of that? And do you think it's, it's respect? To a degree, yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't want to repeat myself from previous podcasts, but there's definitely an element of, yeah, Max feeling maybe like he has something to prove more against Lewis because I don't think there's any debate at this point about the fact that he races Lewis differently to Charles. Uh, they had some great battles at the start of the year and it was really good to see and everyone kind of said, you know, is this a new Max? He's got his championship. He's kind of settled down and doesn't have to, yeah, you know, go... 100% into every battle but once it became him and Lewis again it, it kind of 
reverted to what it not as extreme as last year, but yeah, that that and, edge. And the interesting thing was, it wasn't always Verstappen who came out on top of these. You know, Leclerc won in some of those wheel to wheel battles. Sam, what do you make? Well, with the Max versus Lewis wheel to wheel racing, and this is it's going to sound a bit odd, but there's almost at points so much so much disrespect from how Max approaches those situations that there was respect in it. It was, I have to race like this. It's the only way I can beat you. Hmm, you are, you know, yeah. he, he, Lewis is, is that good. And it's the only approach, whereas with Charles, I think Max does have the, the, the measure of him quite a lot. But interestingly, at the start of the season, I felt that, that Leclerc was outsmarting Max quite often. Like you'd see Max kind of make a move and Leclerc, you know, would straight back up the inside. You know, he's basically kind of, you know, taking a diff- the, the different line, the alternate line in the corner, which Max should be anticipating. He should see that coming. He should be adapting to prevent that uh, that move. So, yeah, I think that there is obviously a difference there. But I think Max grew into the year, grew with confidence. And the Max that you saw at the end of 2022 is a whole other beast. I think it's it's going to take something really, really special to beat him next season. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll get deep into Max in yeah, when we talk about Red Bull, but Abby, again, yes, going, going back to the, um, the, 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 the teammates and the way that Leclerc approached uh, Verstappen. I think because Max and Charles have, they raced against each other in their junior careers. So I feel like that helps Max respect Charles a bit more and kind of not that they're equal they're not like the same level Max is obviously that step ahead of Leclerc in his career and that but I think they're more on par than Max is with Lewis and I think Brazil this year was a key moment to see that disrespect towards Lewis from Max but also like you said Sam maybe it is a case of I need to be this aggressive to actually beat him because Max admitted that I crashed into him because I knew he wasn't going to give up and neither was I, and it ruined his race, but it only cost me like five seconds or something. So he went with Lewis, he does go full throttle. He does go straight into it. But with Leclerc, he does, it does seem that Max kind of holds back in a way. But Charles at the beginning of the season was very smart in his attack and placing the car to get ahead of Max, in my opinion. Well, that's the, the interesting thing with, with Charles is that he had that kind of opposite season for to, to Max in that sense. And apologies for for going on to Max there before. But Charles, as the issues with Ferrari started coming to the the fore, you could see that loss of confidence. And he didn't really look as racy or aggressive on on circuit. And it's mad to think that he didn't win at all in the second half of the season. His last win was Austria in that Ferrari and it's Charles Leclerc he's an exceptional talent so they really need to regroup over the over the winter if they're going to bring a renewed title challenge into 2023 now there was a lot of talk about science's performance potentially costing Ferrari second place and Mercedes getting ahead due to his mistakes but ultimately guys there were I can't find the word for it. There were, there was chaos inside the Ferrari pit garage throughout this year. And so many mistakes were made. I mean, guys, 
Silverstone rings out as one, all the difficult radio messages that went out, you know, at Spa. What really stands out to you is Ferrari really messed this up and lost points. James? Yeah, I mean, there was that string uh, where the, the title battle basically disappeared and it was it culminated in Britain like you say uh we had what a mixture of mechanical and strategic issues they had Spain obviously Charles uh resigning from the lead and then Monaco was a strategy blunder Baku was another engine Canada was damage limitation because of the engine uh and yeah by the time we got to to Britain and they again threw away a likely win for Charles and then the, that infamous photo of Benotto. I mean, we don't know the truth exactly. There are, you know, different people who said different things. Charles himself. It didn't look great though, either way. And Charles at that point was t- entirely innocent as this title race had just fallen away from him. And they never really recovered from there. And the, reg- the, and the regulation, uh, the summer break just killed it totally. And Red Bull just cleared off into the distance. And that's when they obviously ended up battling Mercedes for second. So there were moments that it looked like the drivers were almost being bullied by the team um, into silence, not to talk about what was going on behind the scenes, the mistakes that were being made. You know, yes, we believe in our team. They made the right decision. But it was clear on team radio that at the time they did not agree with what was going on. It's Ferrari, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's so much disarray um, from the pit wall with Ferrari and we've seen it in its most extreme way in 2022. But there's been a long history, it feels like, of Ferrari drivers having to manage the race themselves from the car, which is just not how you can operate if you're going to win a championship. Um, And, you know, luckily they've had some drivers who who are very, very good at it in the past, Fernando Alonso, is is exceptional at doing that but they they have to do something uh, about that if they if, if they want to compete with red bull uh, it just is too much for the driver to manage it looks like and yeah understandably those frustrations come through um interestingly carlos, carlos Swanson, and i've mentioned this before said that there's a a, a no blame culture at ferrari which as i said at the, you know, at the time can very quickly become a no accountability culture and that's the distinction that they need to kind of, you know, resolve. I mean, just look, looking at the looking at the, the season comparison by the Austrian Grand Prix, Ferrari were on three hundred three points, right? And you had Red Bull on three hundred fifty nine. Now that at that point, anyone can take it. Um, Abby, I'm interested to to know. Do you do you think? It was clear at that point it was falling apart because it was still very, very close halfway through this season. And Ferrari, I, I genuinely feel, could have been world champions if they had pulled themselves together. I think they could have done. But the thing that stands out for me is the difference in the DNFs because Ferrari had nine in total, six going to science. But Red Bull, Verstappen failed to finish two races, Bahrain and Australia, and Perez failed to finish Bahrain, Canada and Austria, despite being classified in Bahrain. But... Red Bull got on top of those reliability issues straight away. They solved them. But Ferrari, they seem to go on throughout the season. Science's last DNF was Cota when he got hit by Russell. But they had so many technical issues that they didn't seem to be able to solve. And I think that's what let them down because Perez managed to finish and get some points for Red Bull, which pushed them further up the constructors. But because Science did fail to finish so many more races than Leclerc, it was then kind of on Leclerc's shoulders to actually get these points for Ferrari rather than having two drivers try and boost the team up. 
there's one clear moment in my mind of where it all went finally fundamentally wrong. And that is when Mattia Bellotto came out and said, we can win the next 10 races. And they didn't win a race after that. You know, you kind of feel like, what would happen if he hadn't said that? And the weird thing is that he started the season saying, you know, we just want to get two wins or three wins or whatever their official goal was. And he was like, no, you should be trying to win the title. And he was like, well, maybe we can win the title at the point where they couldn't. It was bizarre. Yeah, I mean, mean, that that was... it's a mad statement, right? You don't go out to a world championship event knowing you've got a good car saying that, do you? Well, that's the thing. How much does their PR machine factor into the stress and the the anxiety and the expectations and pressure that's set on the team that then ends up costing the team results through mistakes? Like, it, it all kind of plays in in this weird little way. So, yeah, you kind of, I don't know, they're from top to bottom they need to rethink things because they've got two very very good drivers and they've got a car capable of winning a championship and they've got two drivers who are well potentially more Leclerc losing his patience with that team and it's going to take a toll on the driver they've got Mercedes coming at them next year and then they might not have this opportunity again this may have been that that once in 10 years opportunity to go and win the championship Add to that that they're going to have a new principal for next year. I mean, James, what is your expectation for for next year for Ferrari? Because they've really got to almost start again, right? Yeah, um, it's so hard to call, especially I think with Ferrari more than any other team where they're going to go year on year. Uh, I I hope that, uh, yeah, a blank canvas can do them some good uh, and they can get out of the spiral that they're in this year. And I'd love to see all three fighting at the top. That's what I hope, what I, what I predict. I don't know. I, I will struggle to, to definitively predict something, but I'll say that I'll say that they can be there. And that's the thing. Ferrari are always there or thereabouts. They have their odd season where they are atrocious, um, but generally they're competitive. But if you look back at the history of Ferrari in F1, they have pockets of extreme success, like the Lauda era or the Schumacher era. And I think that sometimes warps our perception of how effective they are as a team because we expect so much from them. And let's face it, over the last decade, they haven't delivered that. Either you've got a car that's very, very good and everything else is going wrong, or you've got a car that's not great and you've got Fernando Alonso dragging it somehow to P2 in the championship. So, I mean, I think we've discussed Ferrari. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next few months, let alone into next season, uh, in terms of their team principal selection and how they're going to rebuild themselves. But just to put it in perspective, Ferrari had four wins this season. As we move in to talk about Red Bull, they had 17 wins out of 22 races. This was pure dominance. So let's talk about Red Bull. Abby, I'm going to start with you. Did you expect Red Bull to do this this year? No, I didn't. I think I remember saying after the 2021 season that I didn't think Max would win another championship. And obviously I've been proved wrong. But they started absolutely brilliantly uh, by the double DNF in Bahrain. But from there, they solved their reliability issues and the pace that that Red Bull had was amazing. Straight line speed. It was so much faster than every other car. And their strategy 
Hannah, the head of the Red Bull strategy team, has done amazing work this season because they just dominated from the get-go till the very end. And it was great to see such dominance, but also it wasn't because it was kind of when Max gets the lead in a race, he kind of just stays in the lead and then he doesn't really battle for it that much. But it was a great season for Red Bull. I mean, it, it it almost felt like Red Bull had, they'd got a taste of it last year. You know, they hadn't won the World uh, Constructors Championship, but they'd won the drivers and Christian Horner thought, right, this is, this is the year. Let's throw absolutely everything at that. And I don't want to talk right now about, um, you know, the, the budget cap um, breaches because well and truly... I don't believe that that factored into it. I think, yes, they, they, they broke the regulations, right? They did, and they should have been penalised more. But I don't think that ultimately meant that they won this year. Um, James, unless you disagree with me. I mean, it played a part. It helped them. I wouldn't say it made enough of a difference. No, I think they would have won anyway. Um, it's more, <laughs> the issue with that is more about the, the kind of exponential benefit. Yeah, of course. It. But yeah, we're, we're not going to speak about it. Like you said, it, it's been well and truly covered. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, I, I wouldn't say I expected them. It, like you were saying, you asked of Abby, but I did fear it. Um, and I, I say that obviously with a bit of bias uh, as a, as a Lewis fan, but I think as a fan of the sport, the, the last thing it needed after the, the drama and the huge controversy of Abu Dhabi 2021 was a Red Bull domination. And I think I said that in our Bahrain race review a long, long time ago that I was pleased that it looked like it was at least going to be a battle between Ferrari and Red Bull. And then this is where we ended up. I mean, Adrian Newey wrote his thesis on ground effects cars, so he was always going to put them in a great position to do well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But as we've discussed, you can have a, you can have a great driver. Um, sorry, you can have a great car, but you need a great driver. Now, apart from obviously that first race, Max Verstappen was very literally untouchable and especially in the second half of the year it was it, it felt like a letdown for F1 as a sport and I don't mean that because Max is so great it, it just takes us back to the sort of the Schumacher and even those Hamilton dominance eras where it's boring to see someone who's so in their stride Sam what did you think watching Max Verstappen walk this season I have been able to appreciate the dominance more than I did during the Vettel era because I think I've just kind of, I can see it for what it is. It is engineering, an engineering masterclass uh, from Red Bull. It's That car is so quick in a straight line. But also what really impressed me is how quickly got, they got on top of those issues. They very, very quickly turned around what was obviously a bit of an unreliable car. And they thoroughly earned that championship from that perspective. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the entertainment value, uh, it obviously wasn't as entertaining as last year or 2021. So there needs, hopefully there's a step up from a season Ferrari in that respect. But you, it's almost like kind of, you know, no notes, like where do you criticise the kind of thing? Um, it was just, Catering. it was just brilliant. 
catering. <laughs> don't don't start, James. Don't start. <laughs> that's the thing. I'm trying to avoid talking about the cost cap and making you know Cassie remarks about it. Uh, but even you know, looking at the drivers, Sergio Perez, especially in the first half of the season, a massive step forward. If you compare his results in in 2021 compared to the first ten races of the season this year, he was. Second, what five, five or six times he won a race. He he was yeah, a, a considerably better driver, or performed considerably better. So they they stepped up across the board. Well, interestingly, Sam, I feel that's the only area you can criticise Red Bull, um, because you've you've obviously got the, the an incredible car. You've got an incredible driver in Max Verstappen, but. Checo was, he was second and he was clearly a second driver. He was clearly disrespected throughout the season. He gave away wins to Max. And I think that's the reason where you, you that's the point where you can criticise him. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it was only when Checo dared step out of his lane that the world kind of got very, very mean and harsh around him. And Red Bull, seemingly he's suggesting started developing in a much more Max Verstappen way to, again, create more of that divide again because they want a clear one-two relationship between them. And yeah, the end of the season was a mess for, for Red Bull from that perspective, especially next year. If you, you have a more competitive championship fight, you're going to need Perez on board. I'm not sure you quite get that after what happened in Brazil and also what happened in Abu Dhabi where they clearly didn't prioritise him finishing P2 in the championship which is just odd because they haven't achieved that before. Yeah, I mean, you, you're absolutely right. That is the one area that you can criticise them. But if you, you, you'd be wrong to criticise them because Mercedes did it with the Bottas, right? The Bottas. With the Bottas time. So you've got, you've got a clear number one driver, right? And in order to, to seal the driver's title and the constructor's title, you've got to have a, a strategy for that. And clearly it worked for Mercedes. You've got Lewis Hamilton who will always win. And um, if for whatever reason Bottas is in front, Lewis is usually going to get past somehow, whether it's tactical or not. And, and that's sort of how you can seal both championships. So it would be unfair to criticise Red Bull because we've seen it being done before. James, thoughts? Not in the same way. I mean, they were always given whoever they were allowed to race. And the only time that, yeah, the, obviously the infamous Valtteri H. James was right towards the end of the season, towards the end of a season where Valtteri literally hadn't won a race, where Lewis was in a, a tight battle still with Seb for the championship. Uh, we saw in, yeah, Hungary in 2017 that Lewis handed a place back to Valtteri despite the the tight battle. And they were always given equal footing when it was, yeah, when it was between them. Uh, and quite often, Lewis didn't get past him. You know, Austria at the start of 2020. And yeah, Valtteri often flattered to deceive at the start of seasons. Whereas, I mean, you look at it from Checo's point of view, he had the, he dared ask for a sixth place once and it ended up in Max Verstappen's mum claiming that he cheated on his wife. Like... <laughs> That's that's all he did. And the horrific stuff that happened after that within the team and sadly on social media, kind of I think that's harsh to com- to compare the Mercedes situation to that. So so James, um you're you're saying Checo, but Sergio Perez has been mistreated this year at Red Bull. It is, you can't say for sure without seeing behind the scenes, but he he certainly wasn't 
given what I feel was his due in like the amount that he did to help Max over the last 18 months. He, you know, didn't feel like they had his back when he asked for a very small amount. Given what he's done for Red Bull, he wasn't, he wasn't given yeah. that back. Yeah. No, I see, I see your point. Abby, what do you take on it? Well, I agree with James because Max won the, the driver's championship in Suzuka. So for Checo to ask for some extra points in Brazil and to try and beat Leclerc in for P2 in the driver's championship, that's a small ask compared to the rest of the season. Max is already champion. He doesn't need the extra points because he was ahead by like 100 or something anyway. So surely from my point of view, I thought it would have been logical for, I know Max has his reasons, but I thought it would have been logical for Red Bull to let Perez get ahead. Do you know what his reasons are, Abby? Because uh, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Monaco has been got like in the circles, in the gossip, but I am not sure. And I don't think we will ever know because I don't think Max will actually ever admit those reasons to the public. But I don't, I surely Red Bull would have wanted to secure the one-two in the championship. Like Sam said, they've never achieved that before. It was a small ask given everything that Perez has done. So that how he was treated with that situation and everything that came after, like Jane said, with the abuse on social media and that, that definitely doesn't sit well with me. And that is the only thing, or that is the biggest thing that I can criticise Red Bull on for mm. this season. Because they'd won the Drivers' Championship and the Constructors by that point. Sam? Exactly. So it's like, why wouldn't you why? Yeah. help Perez? I think this is kind of what happens when you allow a driver to be bigger than the team. And I think this is a systemic issue for Red Bull. If you look back at including the the Verstappen Perez relationship in their kind of couple of years together, if you look back at other periods of dominance, Schumacher and Ferrari, Vettel and Red Bull, Hamilton and Mercedes, they all have examples of team orders coming into play, uh, drivers having to do what's right for the the, the greater good of the team. The difference there between the two Red Bull examples and the Ferrari and the, the Mercedes example is kind of doing it with, with grace and the, the lead driver extending that dignity to the second driver. And I don't feel that that really happens at Red Bull. Multi-2021, sorry, multi-21 and everything that happened with Perez at the end of the season had the same kind of response from Red Bull. It was, oh, we're really sorry about that. It That wasn't good enough. But anyway, it just didn't seem like they were taking it as seriously as they should do to create a harmonious environment. And ultimately that, I think, is because they found their formula. They found what wins the races, found what works for them. So why are you going to deviate from that? Now, Fortunately, this year, no one is going to contest that the world champion deserved to be world champion. I mean, there was a it was a little bit um, badly delivered in uh, Suzuka when it wasn't sure if Max was world champion. If he wasn't, that was again a mess from um, F1. So uh, I, I feel very, very sorry for Verstappen to go through that two years in a row. It just it, it was so unfortunate and. In truth, he won 15 races. He had an incredible season. No one can take it away from him. Would anyone disagree with that here? No. Statistically, wasn't as good as 2004. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. No, well, was, we've heard that incredible. stat all year, Sam. But uh, 
Not all year, only like the last six weeks. <laughs> but yes, it was way too long. It, it was incredible. Red Bull deserved that championship. Vax Verstappen deserved that that championship. Um, and again, gutted for him the way that it wasn't done properly. But uh, maybe, maybe we'll see it done properly next year if Max is in the running. So getting towards the end of our 2022 season review, it wouldn't be a review if we didn't rate it. So guys, I'm going to go around the table and ask out of 10 what you would rate the 2022 season as a whole. So I'm going to start with you, James McKenzie. I mean, just for context, I would have given last year a 10 out of 10. I mean, I would have given it more until the last race. I can't remember what I rated it, but what would you rate this year? Well, like I said earlier, uh, it was I thought it was kind of the last thing it it needed. It had its moments and it looked like it was going to be great for a while, but I can't give it more than a six. Okay. Now, Sam's been pulling some really strange faces um, since I've asked that question, so I'm very interested to know what you're going to say. Yeah, I, I was, well, to be honest with you, I was trying to work out if you asked us this question last week on the on the season review part one, uh, but clearly not. Uh, I was trying to remember what I'd said um, if we were reviewing the bottom seven teams. But anyway, um, yeah, I think it flat to deceive the first few races. I think it's probably a five out of ten. I think it's what what went well went well in the sense that I think the new regulations are really promising it's a really solid bedrock to build from over the next few years. But, and it kind of offers lots of potential, but what went wrong was, you know, it was for the viewer, a very dominant season for, for Red Bull and Max Verstappen specifically. And it wasn't anywhere near as dramatic as 2021. Okay. And um, Abby? 5.5. You always, I've noticed this, Abs. You always go in the middle of a number, always, for everything. <laughs> it's, yeah. There were some good moments, but then, like Sam said, it flattered to deceive and it wasn't anything like last year. And I think the dominance of Red Bull kind of made it less enjoyable for a viewer. Even if you were Red Bull fans, I, I know some Red Bull fans that found it less enjoyable because it was predictable towards the end. So, 5.5. It it was a victim of last year's success, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, last year was probably one of the greatest F1 seasons we've ever seen. And that's always going to be hard to follow, especially the way that that season ended. Um, I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it a six. I can't give it more than that. I thought there were some some exciting moments. I, I really wanted Ferrari to, to do well. I, I, I would have been very happy seeing Ferrari world champions. And it's not that I'm unhappy seeing Red Bull. Again, it's just the manner and the dominance in which it took place. We watch F1 to watch racing. We don't watch F1 to um, know the results before the race has even started. So hopefully, guys, we will see a a more exciting season next year so that is the end of our 2022 season review we will be back next week with our awards ceremony which is very prestigious and you know everyone tunes in it's a worldwide event but we'll be giving awards out such as race of the season uh, moment of the season team of the season funniest moment of the season underdog of the year and best and worst national anthems of the year sam i know you're excited for this 
I'm very excited, particularly about the national anthem. But also, with the awards, are we eligible to win? I'm going to dub them nerdies. I don't know if they already have a name, uh, but are we eligible to win a nerdy? <laughs> well, why? obviously not for like driver of the season because you know <laughs> didn't drive. Um, but are we going to have questions that are like based on us as well, like prediction of the season? What that you thought who was oh, going to become go. the world champion this year? <laughs> I, uh, Sebastian Vettel, I recall you saying. Did someone say they thought he was going to retire this year? Potentially, I, I think. I think that was uh, James McKenzie. So that's prediction of the season. Sam, no, you no, could get out actually, of here. Actually, prediction prediction of the season should go to the amazingly named our friends at Planet F One. Amazingly named journalist Sam Cooper. Yeah. I know. And your name um, is Sam Coop for reference. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm aware. I know. The listener might not be. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, but he said that Oscar Piastri would go to McLaren, which I think is a brilliant call, obviously, because he did. Well, okay. Well, he's he's not a nerd, is he? So how would we <laughs> no, give him fair. that reward? <laughs> <laughs> Immediately giving away the first ever nerdy to someone not in the team. Oh, Perfect. dear. Sam. And on that note... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes, I, and and you know what, James McKenzie, thank you for co-hosting. On that note, we're going to call it a day. But um, it's been an incredible year of reviews, and this is the final review. So, James McKenzie, thank you so much for being part of it, and all of the others. I've loved it, loved every second. Uh, so, thank you for for having me on. I think it's fair to say, even when the the track action has been rather boring, we've still f- found a way to enjoy it. We've made our own fun. <laughs> we have. Um, and Sam, without some of the silly things you've said this year, such as, oh, my grand's name Val, I don't know how I would have got through it. So um, thank you for being part of it. Th- thank you very much. And to quote the ethereal Matt Hancock, thank me for having me on. <laughs> That sounds like something you would say. Ah, dear. And um, Abby, it wouldn't be the same without you to keep us in check. So thank you very much. Thank you for letting me join it. There's never been a dull moment on the podcast. There hasn't. So we'll be back again next week. We'll see you then. Goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Podcast Network.